You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today's guest is Colby K. Colby is a high-performance coach, an executive coach. Uh, he's a film producer, a best-selling author, among many other things, but um, the topic of conversation today is a very serious one and something that he is devoting much of his life now to, and that is uh, prevention of teen suicide. Um, it's something that uh, he he has created a documentary on, and uh, when I heard about this, I just wanted to do whatever I could to help further promote and amplify this cause. It's such a deep and meaningful one. Um, Some facts that are alarming out of the gate here. Four out of five teens who attempted suicide gave clear warnings. Uh, Over 3,000 teens will attempt suicide within the next 24 hours. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for youth aged 12 to 18. So this is a very serious, critical problem and uh, something that is very, very needed to uh, to prevent such tragedies. Uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking to Colby about this issue because his heart and, uh, more importantly, his ability to execute and make a real difference is very prominent. So um, with that, I'm going to dive into the call. Colby has so many other talents and uh, things that we could be talking about, but um, the focus of this call is going to be on teen prevention, suicide prevention for teens, uh, among some of the other things we do get into a little bit. But without further ado, let's get into the call. Here I am with Colby K. All right. I'm here with Colby K. How are you doing, my friend? My man, I'm doing amazing. How are you? Fantastic. You look amazing. The, uh, your backdrop looks amazing. I just found out you're in Utah. Uh, I got to get that one checked off the bucket list. I've been to Utah, but not to, to Zion Park and all that. So everybody I hear that's been there has been has said it's amazing. <clears throat> so welcome to the call. Thanks for joining me. Of course, man. Thank you. Uh, we've got a very important topic to discuss today. The, uh, the, the organization that you are a part of, is this, did you create it or, or actually before we get into that, why don't you just sort of tell people who you are and what this cause is all about? Oh, absolutely, man. So Peter, as we get started, let me just first and foremost say thank you so much for, for having me on today. You know, it's, um, I'm honored and always humbled by the opportunity to, to come on and talk to a new audience. And, you know, if we can help just one person through the, our time together, it's absolutely worth it. So thank you first and foremost. Absolutely. So the, um, the name of the project is called A Life Worth Living. Um, it's a nonprofit that uh, we're, a, we're doing, filming a documentary series. It's 10 episodes where I travel around the country and we discuss with, with parents and with communities and with teens and musicians and athletes and actors the effects of and the silent epidemic that is teen suicide. So, you know, over 3,000 kids between the ages of 8 and 17 will attempt to end their life through suicide in the next 24 hours. And to me, I thought that that was way too much. Um, you know, as we dove into things, it was, a, it was something that needed to be talked about. And instead of just saying, hey, that's a problem, I decided to pick up a camera and do a year's worth of research and meet with a bunch of people and put that together on a um, – we built a nonprofit that I started that's under the same name and the focus is the is is raising money to get the show finished so we can help you know just even if it's just one person that is uh, a horrific um stat that that many uh young people are considering that has is has that risen over the last several years has that been is that normal like 20 percent year over year it continues to rise that's insane. so yeah when you look at it it's the 
there's a lot of different things and there's not one thing that causes it, right? So we've met with close to 500 teens in a year, let's say. And in those dialogues, when you start to do the research and you dive why it's happening, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's seclusion. It's not feeling as if they're apart. They're not feeling wanted. They feel as if they're a burden. Um, there's the pressures of technology. There's the social, you know, there's social pressures. Um, we're more connected now than ever to whereas, you know, everything from online bullying to online, you know, validation all comes through my phone. I'm on it every second. The, um, then there's mental health. Um, there's, there's medication issues, there's drug issues, there's sexuality confusion issues. Like there's all kinds of things that, that fall into these categories. So there's not a one love fits all. Um, and there's not one solution. So, you know, as we start to dive into this in the dialogue, I'll tell you why I did it, even my, my own connection to it is, if I were to talk about those stats and we literally just talked about a, a bunch of dead kids, it's a very dark subject. Right. The name of the project is called a life worth living. So instead of just focusing, although we do focus on some of those dark aspects to lay in, in kind of the, the contrast, it's giving kids the opportunity to see that there are things in their local communities to give them a reason to live or a mm. life worth living. Mm, so our, our, our focus is on, you know, what are the things that you can do when you start to get in those dark areas? But until we have the actual conversation of this is happening, like that's the first stage. We're not, I'm not trying to solve, I'm not trying to solve it. What I'm trying to do is the first stage of actually solving it would be to have a dialogue that we're not having about it. Nobody knows those numbers. I tell people that and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, here's the link to the CDC. Like it's, it's, it's the last update they did was 2017 because the numbers are really, really hard to get. Staggering. As, you can, as you can imagine, a lot of them aren't reported, right? And as a parent, when that happens, you're doing a lot of things. You're either on the boat to go out and drive awareness or you kind of hide behind the scenes and more people are hiding and not talking about it versus kind of bringing it out into the open. And that goes back to how I was raised and how my father was raised. You know, as a man, you're told to suck your feelings up. You're not supposed to say anything. I was never told that, but it was one of those inherent things of, you know, as my parents got divorced and I went through my own dark times, it's, it's, you never really talked about stuff to anybody. Mm -hmm. So if generationally we can break that down and we can shine a light on conversations that aren't being had, that you're not broken, you're not alone. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's, there's, there's tons of people around you that want you, you know, that, that love and want to help support you. We need to have that dialogue first. So mm -hmm. the longer we keep suppressing it, the less and less this is going to come to light. So the focus is on having that dialogue. Absolutely. Um, before we get into some of that stuff, if I could ask you, what, what is your connection to this? Why is this uh, a cause that you are championing? Uh, uh, beside the obvious need for it, uh, but there's a lot of causes that have a need. So why this one for you? So the, it's a great question. I, I was, you know, coming up as a kid, I was told I was going to be dead or in jail more times than I can remember. Mm -hmm. And I didn't give anybody reason to think otherwise, right? My behaviors, my actions, the things I did, the, then I started to have more self-awareness knowing that I was here on this planet for something bigger. That started when I was around 14 or 15, um, you know, up and down, I'm a human. We make, you know, we make mistakes and we go through stuff. And as I got older, you know, from um, building a business to being in the music business, to losing, you know, getting divorced to, um, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. I had Lyme's for a year. Didn't know I had it. And you don't sleep. It's like your bones, every ounce of your body hurts. And I was under so much medication. I couldn't function. Um, that gets really dark. 
Um, I went through a divorce that was really like um, emotionally. I was, there was a ton of abuse there I didn't know that was happening until I was out of it to come and look at it. So there was a bunch of really, really dark times that I've had in my life where I myself have found my – you know, f- found myself not just fathoming, but going through the process of like, well, like this is it. There's not another, like it doesn't get better. And I didn't. And as I was right in the middle of a really dark stage about a year and a half ago, it's, um, it was the, 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 the divorce that I went through. It's like, it got really, really dark and heavy. And I found myself drinking a bottle of whiskey every couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I found myself in the closet really, you know, starting to really formulate like what happens if I'm not here? The next day, my, uh, my fiance's oldest daughter is in high school, and she came home. And we live in a pretty small – we live in a, a place of Washington County. So it's not a really, really big um, – it's not like a city like what I'm used to. There were 11 suicides. The oldest daughter comes home, and she says, hey, mom, did you guys see the, the kid in my class who uh, Facebook Live? He, he killed himself. Did you see the Facebook Live? I'm like, what? No, I, I didn't want to hear it. I got really disturbed because of my own emotional attachment to my, my, my darkness and what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't like to see kids and women and innocents get hurt. Like, I just, it's one of those things I've just never been a fan of. So I walk away. Uh, my fiance watches it and grabs me and says, listen, it's not, he didn't, it, it's not him going through with the act. It's his manifesto. And as he starts to go through this, that's when I start to start look at the numbers. It's like, well, why, you know, I see, I'm hearing this a lot. How many people do we know? And it's in this one small district, 11, 11 teens. And then it got down to junior high. When I found out an 11 year old had done it, I was like, that's enough. Like what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. So instead of just saying, wow, that sucks. Cause you know, we have eight kids between the four of us and they're aging four to 20. So it's a very wide gap. When you start to look at that, and I looked at my relationship with my oldest daughter and the things that she struggled with all the way down to my youngest, not only did I want to, be able to provide them with some kind of support for my own family. It's at a bigger scale. Let me look and see how this is nationally. That's what started the exploration. So it started as me just digging around mm-hmm. and it became regional. Then it became national. It's like, wow, this is an, a, this is something really big. And then, you know, I, I, so passionately that was my connection to it. And, you know, over the last God, you know, from graphic design to filming, to building a business, um, from the from ID after we did the research from ideation to L, to you know LLC filing to me doing the websites to all the designs I did that in 48 days the entire thing wow. it's um, taking all of my business acumen and the things I've learned over the last 20 years of doing what I've done it allowed me immediately once we made the commitment after we'd kind of done the research as to how we wanted to structure it um, it was going to be a documentary so you know uh, documentaries that have a features about an hour and 40 minutes. I just don't think we can do this justice in an hour and 40 minutes. I think that there's a bigger conversation that needs to be had. And regionally, there are so many things going on that we wanted to kind of, we wanted to showcase. Then it became, we're going to do 10 episodes and we're going to self-fund it and uh, we'll raise money and I'll put all my money in and we'll get friends and family and corporate donors. So within the last three months, you know, we've got GoPro involved. We've got the Amen Clinics, which are the leaders in kind of head traumas. We've got 45 different professional athletes. We're talking to, um, some big names that are actors and musicians that want to start reading kids' stories on the website and, and in the documentary. So a lot of people are getting behind it. It's just about getting the word out and having conversations like this. Wow, man. Uh, you talked about a lot of the different causes and and not that there is any one cause, but there but are there uh, is there one cause that's the majority of the cause for suicide that, that we can kind of start to pinpoint, hey, let's focus on whether it's antidepressants or social media or 
or things of that nature. I, I think the, the big piece is alienation and feeling alone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, there's this sense that no matter what I, one sense is I, I, I feel um, I'm alone and don't feel wanted. The other side is the, um, the burden. Like I feel like I'm too much of a burden. So, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of, you'll, you'll see families that have got their, their perfect families on the outside. And as you start to dive in, it's those kids had a ton of attention. Those parents were taking those kids to every sport. They were involved in everything, but those kids felt burdensome. They never felt like they were living up. Mm. So part of it is self-acceptance. The other piece is, you know, they, that being alone. I feel alone like there's nobody else that understands me. I think those two are big. If we can start to really have dialogue around what are the social structures that you need to be in to help you know, for support, um, not just a phone number you call after the fact or, you know, if you're in a funk, but like who are people you can come in physical contact with. Um, the other piece are the activities that you can do that can actually drive that chemical change, that serotonin change or get those frontal lobes to, to differentiate you know, being outside exercise, hydration, reduce sugars, uh, you know, higher proteins, all that kind of stuff. There's something you can do there to help. But the, um, the two, those are the two biggest is I feel like I'm a burden and then being alone. Hmm. And, then we, and then as you start to go even low, then you can start to subcategorize it, right? So the LGBT community, they're like the teens are three times, three times more likely to attempt suicide than the heterosexual counterparts. Hmm. I think we should talk about that. Why? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it goes back to I don't feel understood. I feel alone. I don't feel accepted. Then it's mm-hmm. pressure. Then it's bullying. Um, then it's medication and your minds are still developing as a teenager. Why would I give you super strong anti like antipsychotics and things that are going to mess with your, your structure? Like yeah. I do believe there's a place for medication. I just think it's overused. Yeah. Um, what are some of the warning signs that parents and other teens can be aware of if, for their friends or for their children? I think the forefront is when they, when they openly start talking about it. Cause you'll hear like, kids will openly start talking about it. They'll make jokes about it. Um, they'll, they'll tell you like, I just don't want to be here anymore. Um, you know, everybody's way of coping is different. Some will use humor and some will just tell you like I'm in a dark space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece is seclusion. Like if, the, the more and more they start to seclude themselves, I mean, you need to start to really, really start paying attention. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I've gotten into this debate a few times is it, we don't have a gun problem. We don't have a mental health problem. We have a people giving a shit about other people problem. Mm-hmm. And we don't care about other people. We just don't have a value for life. Mm-hmm. If we don't have a value for others' life, how do we have a value for our own? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's talking about it. You'll hear them talk about it. And seclusion, right? It's not the music they listen to. It's not the video games they play. It's not the movies they watch. Um, although those things are all influential, um, the main behaviors is you'll start to see pullback. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear on other sides, you'll hear people talking about it. Yeah. This is a little bit of a tangent, but there was, uh, I think it was in Norway or one of those uh, countries over in Europe. And um, they were looking at trying to reduce the amount of uh, inmates that got out of jail and then were put back into jail. And uh, they did all these different things, basically real rehabilitation. And they found at the end of the day that what it was, was lack of connection. And that once these inmates started to develop connection, they had a value set and a purpose for not getting back thrown in jail again. They didn't want to be taken away from that. And that was the, that was the cure all. So I can see how in this in the sense that it all really, a lot of that does boil out anytime that I've been in a dark place, it's because I've been either isolated or in my own head or whatever, but connection is always the the best antidepressant it seems that's it that's it yeah yeah, yeah um, it, it, that absolutely goes down to everything we're talking about i mean it's the mm-hmm. same thing it's connection mm-hmm. 
Uh, so if someone is, if you do suspect that your child um, is suicidal or perhaps you know of another child that is, what are some of the steps that we can take to prevent that, to support them? The, um, let me say it this way. And I, it's, as we kind of walk through it, it's um, it's not it's controversial in nature, but there's a there's a there's a reason behind it. So if your twelve year old comes to you and says, "Hey, hey, Peter, like I'm I I want to uh, I'm going to kill myself. This is it. I'm I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. Like I'm tired of this." Immediately we say, "What? No, don't do that. No, you'd be missed. No, that's a bad idea." What about this? What if I say I support suicide, and you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute. What? What? I do. I support suicide. I think." For the first time in your absolute, your life, you feel emotions and actually feel alive. And when you, you're voicing that, what are adults telling you? Don't feel like that. That's bad. Suppress those feelings. What about this? I support suicide. I support the suicide of the old ideations of the feelings that got you to the state that you're in today. So we need to figure out what got those core feelings there. And we need to get rid of those. We need to eliminate those. I don't want you to physically harm yourself or others. What I want you to do is think about what drove you to the feelings you have today, and I want to embrace that. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It is absolutely okay, and you're not broken to feel sad or anxious or happy or miserable or anxious or at the same time. Like, it's totally – there's nothing wrong with that. We, we're humans. Like we're very complex, and it's so embracing the feelings and of understanding that when you have something – it's okay. It's when you sit in those feelings for too long and that becomes a habit, that's where we start to have a problem. If we're having this discussion, why don't we break free of what those old ideations are? Now let's talk about how we can move forward in a positive light that engages you in things that you like to do. Take yeah. those feelings and let's move that from one side of the table to the other, but let's leverage that as the strength to say, you're okay and I'm okay. Let's embrace it. This could be the first time you've ever felt alive. I'm not going to tell you to suppress those feelings. What I'm going to do my absolute best to do is to take those feelings and now let's move those forward and not go backwards on the things that made you feel that way. Are you too connected to your phone all the time? Stop. Are you on your computer? All Technology is a big one, dude. Technology is a big one. It's so, gasoline to a fire. Yeah. I can, absolutely. It's yeah. absolutely. It's, you know, in the days when I was going to high school, if I got bullied and I left school and went home, that social circle, I was with my friends. I didn't see the people that were the problem. Now they, they don't leave me alone. They're on top right. of me long. It's, right. it's looking at the root cause of why someone feels that way. And when you look at it, it's the kids aren't going to know. They're not going to be able to tell you. So you need to look at behavioral wise. What's going on? How, how long are you on your phone? Who are the social people that you're hanging out with? Is it an influence? Like, are they, are they telling you, are you being bullied? Is it a chemical imbalance where you actually need to see somebody like having the dialogue as to what the root cause is that got them there? They're not gonna be able to answer that. You're going to yeah. have to ask, you're going to, as a parent, you're going to have to actively be in, involved in that dialogue. And one of the things that I struggled with for years, dude, was, you know, you lead with anger. It's like, well, stop doing that. You idiot. Like do it this way. It's, we need to understand and have a compassion towards these conversations and lead with love and understanding and acceptance of that. And it's for our own self-growth. We as kids didn't grow up that way. So as a parent, it's a completely new way of thinking from an empathetic perspective to try to get to the root cause. So if you're suspecting or your own kid, as you start to like have that dialogue, accept them, love them, have the discussion. They're not broken. Allow them to feel that way and tell them that those feelings are okay as long as they're not hurting themselves or others. Mm -hmm. Right. And then let's talk about why you're getting to that. Cause there's a lot of root causes, man. There's, you know, from sexual traumas to emotional traumas to 
chemical imbalances to too much overstimulation. There's a lot that can be said within that, having that conversation of leading with love. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, psychologically, um, understanding some some base psychological phases that people go through is helpful too, just from an awareness standpoint. Uh, I think the first thing that they talk about, uh, and I'm obviously not a psychologist, but they talk about that, that at some point in a young child's life, they get to a point where they realize or they challenge themselves to, to ask themselves a question of, oh, I'm not good enough. They hit that phase, right? Because a young toddler, they're, they don't even have an awareness of self even yet. But once you start to come online, then you have that, there's that psychological threshold where oh, I'm not enough because mom or dad said no, or because, you know, there was discipline or something. Well, in the early teen years, you have the big psychological transition is, do I belong? And because we're pulling away from family from a psychological standpoint, we're starting to individuate, pulling away from mom and dad. Friends become extremely important because that's our support network. We're wanting to uh, individualize outside of our family unit, whether, and that's even subconsciously. So in that space, these young kids, if they have social media that just is throwing uh, gasoline on the fire of where they're not belonging, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that can be. Um, do you, are you a proponent of just taking away all technology or, or social media or how do you, how do you navigate that as a parent? Hmm. I, I think that there, that's a tough one. I think I, I'm a proponent of limiting it. And then when it's introduced, right, it's um, I'm trying to wean my youngest kids off of it. Right. It's like they've, they've been kind of accustomed to when they're done with specific things, whether it's playing video games or on their iPads, it's, or even in front of the television, it's one of those things where <clears throat> it's easy. Um, I, I, and by the way, I'm a big, I'm a, I spent 15 years in technology. I'm an engineer by accident and write apps. It's like I do design, like I'm on my computer all day long. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that there's not a benefit to it. It's how it's being leveraged. And I think the, the longer you can wait to introduce kids, I think the better because then the less problems that you have. I agree. It's so being able to wait. A good example is um, I didn't have a lot of candy growing up, right? As a kid, my, um, I got put on Ritalin when I was seven or eight, I'm 44. So it was one of the first times it was kind of being introduced mm-hmm. and it was for ADD. And my mom, I was on it for, I don't know, not even a month, maybe a month. And my parents immediately took me off of it. They were like, it's just what it was doing to me. It completely changed me. Hmm. Then they started to look at my diet. They reduced sugars. So there was no more like, like sodas and candies and crap. And it was, you know, what am I eating and how am I being stimulated? It got me into sports and, you know, all the, it got me active. In doing those things, managing my diet and getting me outside and active, it completely changed. Like I didn't have to take the medication. I also though attribute ADD to almost all of my successes as an adult. It's like I can multitask as long as I have a list of stuff and I can stay focused. I can do a ton of things at once because I can't do one thing at a time. My brain just doesn't, I don't, I get, I get bored if I'm thinking of one thing, but if I can get a task list, I can go through it. So when I start to look at that, my kids, I didn't introduce my oldest daughter had no candy. Like she would get weird when she'd have candy. So I just didn't give her candy. She didn't have sodas. As an adult, she has, doesn't have that. She doesn't want candy. She doesn't want sweets. She's not a soda person. It's, I wonder if at a young age, because it's kind of young to tell you, these generations now don't know what life's like without the internet, 
like right. we do, right? But back in my day, so it's <laughs> if we can, if we can, I'll be interested to see as you know, as as I'm going through just my own exercises of it, right? I don't have the answers. I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy who's trying to figure it out. So it's if I can slowly, if I can wait as long as I can for the younger kids. I think that there'll be something there because the habits aren't formed. You know, if, if the longer those habits are formed, the more detrimental it is. I have found with my own kids uh, as a parent with them, like the first thing, if I was to pull back and, and reverse engineer what's effective in my life with my kids at this stage anyway, I would say that first and foremost, there's a develop, uh, there's a, uh, a fundamental um, communication Communication and love, we're, we're constantly communicating. There's an emotional intelligence that I'm wanting to awaken them to, et cetera. But then, you know, we got a lot of pushback from my daughter. She's now 13, almost 14. Dad, come on. I'm like pretty much the last girl in my entire class to not have a phone. And so we talked about some of the reasons why and uh, giving legitimate reasons why. But because it was the foundation of love and communication was there, while it was frustrating at first, she then started to come around a little bit and maybe she's, you know, an, an anomaly or whatever, but when she started to hang out with her friends and then they would all just pull up their phones, you know, I'd be kind of in her ear, like, see how addictive it is. Like, look, you're not like, this is what's no, going nobody's on. Present. Nobody's present. Nobody's present. Look at her, go, go out to eat, look at a restaurant. It's couples, so couples, couples like that. Couples like this. Like sit across from each other. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. I do that. I, I, one of the things actually that I tell my kids is I'm freaking addicted to this thing. If you see me on this, you know, at a stoplight or whatever, and it's because it's stupid little stuff like, oh, one's that appointment or oh, somebody just texted or what? It's, yep. it's constantly there. So I tell them too, like I empower them, help me out of this addiction too. We're all dealing with it. And I think maybe that is helpful to some degree too, but. Anyway, it, it's, um, I, have they started to come out with the, with like studies that have shown kids who are, who have been on social media versus transitioning off? There's a guy, do you know who, um, oh, what's his name? Colin, his, he's got a whole thing, hashtag save the kids. Mm, I don't know. I don't know Colin. You need to know him. I need to uh, hook you up with him. Colin Kachner, I think his name is. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. But he has a whole, his whole thing is getting kids off of social media and how it's connected to suicide as well. Um, so I, I've done some work here. Um, the gentleman's name is Dr. Dan. And he there's a, a therapy process that's known as the wilderness where essentially <clears throat> you go out into the wilderness. They'll take a group of kids. They have a bunch of land out where I live. I mean, we're like, there's national forests everywhere. They go out into this land and for um, three to six months, they will literally, you know, they start with a tarp and a sleeping bag and some essentials and, you know, the right hiking shoes and all that stuff, dried food, a burner and like, you know, a little pot and they live outside like build shelters and then have to work as a unit and camp. And then they, every day they're going between five and 20 miles hiking on this land and they do it. And then they, they introduce therapy throughout it. The people that Dan focuses on. So he's one of the pioneers of the, of these wilderness programs. He's been doing it for over 30 years, just a brilliant guy. The, um, so I spent a lot of time with him. I went through the program, I had him like draw me off outside and went, mm -hmm. you know, slept outside and did all this stuff with the kids. And we filmed it for the show is, getting they, they focus on tech kids that have technology um, addictions as well as porn addictions like sex addictions right mm -hmm. so um, and it's very different for boys and girls 
right? Yeah. It's very, very different as to why and how they leverage technology and what they're doing on it. But essentially, um, his thought is like the detriment, what's happening with technology is, is absolutely like it's affecting all of this stuff. The big piece is we're taking away resilience and the ability to communicate and the ability to build those bonds, mm-hmm. right? So by putting them out in the wilderness and taking them way out of their comfort zone, you know, these kids have never been camping most of them. They don't even know how to tie hiking boots, right? It's putting them out there, you know, let alone digging a hole to poop in. It's like, right. that's foreign to most of us don't want to do that. So it's, <laughs> it's going through these very intense um, scenarios and he calls it, it's, you know, we're on an emotional vacation. So even as adults, there was a certain level of trauma that we experienced at some time of our life that we carry on with us that forms how we act and, and show up and respond to things. And it's not, you know, for the negative and the positive. And it's not until we actually address that by getting uncomfortable and then introducing the right kind of therapy. So they come up and do therapy sessions up in the mountain. Um, so I think, I don't know if they're there every week or every other week, but they, they introduce therapy into it. And their focus is literally on trying to unwire all that stuff that's happened with the technology and the detriment that it's happened that, that happens with it. It's so interesting how nature does it. I, for many years, we had friends that had visited uh, Michigan during the summer and they're like, Oh, it's amazing. It's so great. And I had never been there until about five years ago, my kids started going to camp there and we would drive up and stay with a friend for a little bit. And it was so odd because there is nothing up there, you know, other than beautiful lakes, beautiful nature, beautiful. But it, there is a probably a 48 hour technology detox that I have to go through when I get up there. Cause I'm, I'm so agitated, not agitated, but like, go, go, like our, our culture is ADD. Well, like things to do, we got to get this done and just getting up there and there's no movie theaters. There's no, uh, malls. There's no, there's, no, it, there's nothing up there. So, but once you transition, there's like, there's an awareness that awakens within you uh, a rhythm that is so grounded to nature that I, I see that as a huge um, uh, curative to a lot of this stuff. But how do, I mean, how do we get for people that are in metropolitan areas? How do you, you know, what do you do? I don't know. The, um, if, you, if you're talking about outside, we just have to connect them. I mean, part of what we're doing is, um, we have a scholarship fund. So for kids that are, you know, or for parents that are having some issues and they see, Hey, this is happening with my son or daughter. Um, they can't afford whatever help that they need to get. It's like, we have a scholarship fund that we're building. It's based on donations and corporate wow, sponsors cool. to, to allow kind of help them. So there's some kid that's in Detroit that needs to go to outside to go to one of these programs based on a non-boarding process. We'd help facilitate getting them there. Awesome. The, um, the out, the flip side of the outdoors, the, uh, the detox is good. And it's extremely important. The other side of that is, so my own personal experience, even as, you know, is at 44, you know, I went through a very dark series of times in my divorce. I was living here. I've been here over a year now and I was here for six months, five months and didn't even do anything. I didn't go outside. I didn't know where I was. I didn't go outside. I was an active, this tiny little spot. And I was healing. I was going through this healing process. But then I got, I'd love to ride my motorcycle. So I was riding my motorcycle out. And I was out and around on some ridge and I was coming back to the house and sun's setting and I look out and I'm in the middle of a canyon and like I start crying. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, this has been around me this whole time and I've never, I haven't given it any, I haven't paid any of it any mind. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started going through a process where I wanted to see the sun, like the sunrise. 
Um, and I was doing a bunch of filming and be real and had a drone and it gave me excuses to go out and try new gear. And I'm in a Canyon, you're 20 minutes East of here or South of here, anywhere, which direction I go about 20, 25 minutes. I'm in like a major cool area to go see stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would go see the sunrise and I was doing that a couple of days a week. And then I was getting to the point where I wanted to see the sunrise outside somewhere and then the sunset outside at a different location. Mm. And as I started to engage with, and just by myself, you know, I'd have my headphones in listening to music, get to a place, couldn't hear anything anymore or listen to a podcast. And I would get out to the middle of nowhere and literally just walk around, you know, I'm, I'm hiking, I water them, you'll find a good rock just to lay on and, and lay there with my eyes closed. What do you want to call it? Meditation or self-reflection. And as that sun starts to come up, you got about 40 minutes as it starts to rise before we're in full kind of heat of the day. And I am in a desert, so it's hot. It's, there's some, I, I, I was doing, I did that for a, a few months and it completely changed me. I mean, it healed me like as weird as that is, is it gave me the opportunity to be grounded and heal some of my own personal traumas that I, I couldn't have got anywhere else. Hmm. Do you, do you meditate? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah but I used to do it daily. That's I got to get back to the practice. Yeah. I think, I think that's another, another really strong uh, habit to get into to help just quiet the mind and, and turn off all the crap that we are inundated with on a daily basis on a second by second basis. It seems like, um, well, we, we don't allow ourselves. So, you know, when I got dropped off up at the mountains, um, for the wilderness program that we were filming, <clears throat> I'd only been camping a handful of times as a kid. So it's not something I did a lot of and I'm out in the middle. I mean, I'm literally two and a half hours from nothing. I mean, there's no, there's nothing. And we'd filmed and I remember I was laying down. Um, I'd made dinner that night was like some rice we boiled and I had it in there. I, dug a hole we dig a hole in the ground i keep the food there to stay warm mm -hmm. and it was rice and some beans like some refried like de um dehydrated like rice and beans and it was in this thing and it i it was hours old cold it was sitting in this pot and i was busy like you know rolling the camera gear up and getting my camp because i wasn't where the kids were they put me about a mile down from like so by myself it's a full moon and i remember laying there and the first thing i did after everything was like put away was like pick up the phone i'll make an update let me see what's going on and i couldn't and I remember like panicking for a minute and it was like what you were talking about with that digital detox. And I remember laughing, like literally laughing out loud, sitting there eating these cold beans and rice. It was like the best beans and rice I'd had because we'd hiked a ton and it was in this right. hot seat and hadn't eaten during the day. So it was like the best like, food I'd ever had. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at the full moon and I just start laughing and it's, we are so afraid of silencing our mind and what happens when you're quiet. We don't want to deal with it. So we yeah. distract ourselves. We're afraid of it. Yeah. And until you can get comfortable with your thoughts and what's going on in there, it's, you know, it's a struggle. That's why we're so busy trying to inundate and like just distract ourselves. And once I, I realized that or came back to that realization, the just sitting there on this mountain is the moon. It's a full moon. You can see everything around me. I'm under the pine trees. Then all of a sudden I hear the wind going through the trees. Then you hear the little critters off in the distance. Then you, you know, you got to feel myself breathing. It's, you could be 100% present. And I just don't think that we're in a day and an age for adults, let alone kids are in a position to where they can be present. No, we're really not. We, and, and we're confined. Like we're, we're in a building and then we're in a car, we're on a computer, we're in a school, we're, our, you know, it's like we're in tunnel vision all day long and we don't take a moment to, like you said, just open up our, our thought, our consciousness to connect to a, a bigger space. There was a guy, um, do you know who Tom Brown is? He's an author. He's got it. Yeah. So I did his, his survival school out there in, in uh, California. And one of the things that he often talks about, which you've been know, is the difference between wide angle vision and narrow vision. Have yep. you heard him talk about that? Yep. 
and he, a lot of his stuff, uh, if not all of it, is very influenced by the Native American culture. And uh, he talks about, he said, the white man will look at a mountain range and he'll see the mountaintop. The Native American will look at the mountain range, but he'll feel the dew on his skin. He'll sense the breeze, you know, going left to right. He'll notice, uh, you know, movement so, or almost behind him, not even in his eyesight, but he can pick up on the energy that something's happening over there. And he's taking all of this in and he calls that actually wide angle, uh, wide angle what it, vision. But so anyways, as he explained this, we went, he then sent us back out into the woods. The colors were brighter. Like I could, it was, it was a trippy experience because yeah. the, the sounds were richer. There's just something there that we're missing by being in our very modern day-to-day life that we're in. Right now. So there's a, um, we'll continue down the tangent. Go uh, look up Wim, W-I-M. Wim Hof? Yeah, we'll go Wim Hof. So if you can introduce some Wim Hof breathing and some controlled breathing patterns to kind of oxygenate your blood before or while you're in this scenario. So like when you're outside up on the mountain or even just before you take a walk and you do those, you start to push and reoxygenate your blood um, or oxygenate your blood. You get into a state of almost euphoria, but your sense of awareness, like you said, the colors, the, the air, the, the sounds, it's um, everything is way, way, way heightened um, that is traditionally dulled. And when you leverage those breathing techniques with, being outside it's life-changing and it's like it's really funny because i hear myself saying this shit out loud at 44 and i'm like ah, join my yoga class and eat some granola i'm like hell no dude give me a pint of beer and a shot of whiskey like let's ride harleys it's like <laughs> but i find like that's the stuff that works so it's like you know i don't want to say woo woo new age shit but it's you know the closer you can get back to i mean i i believe the the planets of uh, you know a breathe a breathing living thing and it's like right. the closer i can get to that organism allows me to be more alive and you know at this age i look at it and i'm like what the hell happened like what, what <laughs> well, experiences that worked it's like if it works i'm gonna keep doing it right right well it's woo woo until you actually look at the science and you go oh shit this is like your brain is actually doing something different your yep. your heartbeat and your mo- wave uh, brain wavelengths are actually in sync when you're doing that whereas when they're not there's a fascinating company called HeartMath where they'll send you this device and you hook it up to your phone and it'll track your brain waves and your heart waves. And when you're feeling anxious or whatever, they're out of sync and it'll, it'll shift you into a gratitude mindset with some prompts. And when you get it, you know, breathing, sitting still anchored gratitude, then you do the test, your brain and your heart and your heart waves are exactly overlapped. And you're like, ah, this is what flow is. This is what they're talking about. So when you start to see the science, like, oh, it's not so woo-woo anymore. This is actually yeah. real stuff. Well, I'm, I'm a huge believer of flow state. Yeah. I mean, you can get into flow state a handful of ways, right? You know, it's, it, you can introduce psychedelics, the controlled DMT release. There's breathing techniques. Like, dude, Have you done off. that, by the way? Yeah. Yep. Um, I've done a few Sulawaska and Ayahuasca trips. Um, there's, a, there's a place out here in southern Utah that does it. Or not in southern Utah, excuse me, in, um, in northern Utah. I've got a buddy of mine who runs a camp up there. So it's all very shamanistic and very controlled. Yeah. The, um, the other way is through uh, breathing techniques. So like there's, there's breathing techniques. Doc, uh, Brian McKenzie, who was one of the kind of endurance guys for CrossFit. Um, great, great guy who um, I got a ton of love and respect for. He does you know, breathing for athletes, but it's essentially taking the Wim Hof method into performance but the breathing techniques you can get into flow state through breathing uh, because you're releasing you know when you oxygenate it's like blood doping almost on like natural blood doping so i can get my blood into a state to where like i can open up my 
my capillaries. The, um, the other piece is doing stuff like riding a motorcycle where your life is almost in jeopardy, right? Like riding a motorcycle, surfing, skateboarding, almost any of those action sports release heavy levels of, of, um, of serotonin and, and even partial DMT that allow you to get into that like pure sense of bliss. Like that flow state is like, you know, you're, it's a heightened sense of awareness where everything around you, like you feel and see and sense everything. Well, I, I'm a firm believer. I, I, I like to, I would love to say I could, I want to live my, I mean, I want to live my life in a flow state all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And what that, what that flow state really is, what you just described is connection. Like think of all the different connections you're talking about and how even isolated, even not being around other people, you can get into a connected state because of these different methods. Um, Um, If you look up the, so if you take it into the science and you look at what's happening, um, if you want to go through a really interesting set of exercises and you'll see a lot of this in the next probably two months, you'll see me talking a lot about this. Um, The amen clinics. So if you go to a M E N, so like amen Mm -hmm. clinics, Mm -hmm. And if you look at the, what the amen clinics are doing there, they focus on um, emotional issues, behavioral challenges, cognitive problems, learning challenges. It's the science. There, there's a specific kind of method that they've built. That's actually the kind of the science behind how your brain works. Um, they have a series of scanners and testing that they do that will literally go through and say, here are the aspects of your brain that are, are actually kind of, making you the way you are. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm not sleeping. Um, I'm in and out of funks. I've got these major mood swings. So instead of just going straight to a, you know, a psychiatrist or even your local doctor to get medication, it's how do I treat the root? So the stuff that they do there is natural. Um, it's hundred percent natural. So they, they go through, you know, everything from supplementations, but it starts with the understanding of whether you can afford to get a scan. They have a bunch of online stuff too. And they, I mean, it's everything from like ADD to, um, personality disorders to bipolar to uh, depression, hormonal imbalance, like everything. Uh, they, they treat everything there from a holistic perspective by starting with the actual root cause. Mm-hmm. The, um, the guy who started it, um, Dr. Daniel Amen, is just an amazing, an amazing dude. Yeah. But my connection with them is we're doing a whole section on action sports. So in the action sports world, head injuries is a big deal. Right. So outside of everything I talked about, what, what could cause someone to get into a, a place of, you know, what they think suicide is an answer is head injuries. Like people that were completely fine and get a concussion, whether it's playing football, like youth football, right. Or skateboarding or bikes, they fall and hit their head. Concussions rewire your brain. Like, you know, when you have a, a, a head trauma, it's a major thing. So we have some good friends of ours that are, and there's about 40 of them that we've talked to that are all, all professional athletes in action sports that have all had head injuries that have all suffered supreme major things. And they're all like, you know, gold medal winners. They're X games champions. They're people with their household names. A couple of them have gone through the amen clinics and had their brains looked at. And then through a series of diet and supplementation, one of them had a tumor he had to get removed. He didn't even know he had, um, there's a bunch of things that get discovered through that. So we introduced Dr. Amen's kind of process and his thought process and their clinics as we start to go into the action sports stuff, because you're talking about people that actually have head traumas and we go in and like x-ray their brains wow. and show you what does it look like. And then I'm going through it as just myself, um, just to show kind of, you know, as an adult, you know, we're always dealing with our own stuff, yep. right? Yep. What, is, what are some of the results that they're getting out of that? Did they show like before and afters or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So there's, um, there's before and afters. I mean, if there's a couple things the, um, that I would recommend. So if, 
you know, people that are listening, I'm not sure, you know, you got kids or, you know, if it's just even over for your own kind of self, self stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a professional BMX writer, his name is Josh Perry, Josh P-E-R-R-Y. Um, you can find, if you just do a quick Google search, do uh, Josh Perry BMX. So Josh Perry was a professional BMX writer who at 21 was at the height of his career, fell, had a head injury, and then found out he had a tumor. And then he went through the Amen Clinic. So he had, I don't know if he had three surgeries, uh, three brain surgeries to release, to get rid of these tumors. But the, um, if you go, they, he does a whole series where they do before and afters um, through the Amen Clinics. Where, what does brain look like? What it looks like now? Do you know what how he, effective they are overall? It changes people's lives. I mean, it absolutely changes people's life. I have a, a friend of mine, his name's Mike, who I was a professional BMX rider, went into the military, crashed a motorcycle on a drill, had major brain surgery, couldn't read or write after, couldn't hardly walk. Um, once he got through all that rehabilitation, they discharged him because now it's mental health, right? Because um, of the CTE. And they were like, he's just like never going to be the same. He never was depressed. He was never anxious. That's just not who the guy was. And he went through some really, really dark times and he went through a series of treatments where they did a brain scan and went through like, it was a residential. He was there for 90 days on living in the facility in California. It, he's back on his BMX out riding pro again. Wow. He wasn't even, he wouldn't even get on his bike before. Wow. So it's one of those things where absolutely 100% like it works. I mean, I, I know with uh, like PTSD, PTSD, all of it, all of it. It's, yeah. it's being able to go into the brain and scan the brain for root cause and then mm. coming up with a series of things to, to fix it. Wow. Yeah. Um, going back to teen suicide uh, for a moment, what are some of the things that people can be aware of to help prevent that? Um, they're listening to this podcast and they're saying, well, I don't really know what I can do. Maybe they don't even have kids. What are some of the things that they could go out and do that? I don't know, to just bring more awareness and, uh, and to actually not just, I think awareness is always uh, an important thing. And it's, it's something that I think everybody can do to just, share the message, but is there more practical things that people can do to actually get more, you know, in connection with some of these kids that might be hurting? Absolutely. So that's a great question, Peter. I think the first and foremost is you need to start with yourself. And what I mean by that is I spoke to close to 300,000 people in the last 46 months, 48 months. I was on a book tour for a book I wrote called you should see the other guy. And it was about all of the major things I'd been through, all of the failures I'd been through and the stuff that should have killed me, how those sets of adversities actually were my superpower, my strength, and what I've learned through those to have resilience. And as I'm speaking, I've, I've asked this question now for the last year and a half. I've done it in front of a room full of 15-year-olds and a room full where the average age group was, I'd say, 65 construction workers at Intel. And it starts with this. If these words have been used at you or to you or in your direction, I want you to stand up and raise your hand. You're a loser. You're an idiot. That's a bad idea. You're never going to make it. You're never going to amount to anything. And I go through this literally this laundry list. And by the end of that, everybody's standing up. There's you know, maybe one or two people ever have sat down or aren't standing. The reason of doing that is when you look around, what that shows me is we're way more similar than we are dissimilar. What happens is we as adults and, you know, we as people think that our problems are only our problems and no one's ever going to be able to relate. Right. We put ourselves on these islands of 
Nobody knows what bullying's like. Nobody knows what having an eating disorder is like. Nobody knows what sexual dysphoria or whatever. The, I don't know what the, the clinical term would be. Where like, you know, I'm 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 coming into sexual awareness. Like, what does that look like? Um, nobody knows what um, hurting myself looks like. Nobody knows what divorce is like. Nobody knows what bankruptcy is like. Every like. So we think that nobody's gone through it. So we alienate ourselves and then we lose that connection. Mm -hmm. So the first and foremost is understanding that we almost everybody around you has a story. Everybody's gone through shit. Mm -hmm. When you can step aside and, and realize that there are other people that you need to go find to help connect through that, um, it's, it's extremely important. And that starts with self-forgiveness. Mm. Forgive yourself for the things that you've gone through or the things that you've, the weight that you carry it's not always 100% yours and you can get rid of that. So you have to acknowledge that the state that you're in might not always be 100% your fault. It's 100% your fault if you continue. Mm -hmm. It's forgive yourself, be aware, and understand you're not alone. As an adult, you can't have a conversation with the kid if you don't believe it. Right. Sincerity, sincerity in, and authenticity are, are not adjectives that are used to describe someone who doesn't have them. You don't buy a book or an online course to learn how to be authentic. You have right. it or you don't. And people, right. people, especially kids, kids will see through bullshit the second they meet you. They can see you coming. And I love about them. Yeah. You walk in a room and they're like, that dude's bullshit. Immediately. It's like they know if you're real or not. So my, son, my son walked in the other day and without even looking at me, he just walked in. He goes, dad, you're getting fat. Ah. Hey, thanks for thanks for the heads up, bud. Appreciate it. Yes, now <laughs> I look. I, like, I, yeah, I, but it's true. I was yeah, I was getting fat. Now I make I make fat jokes. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fat kid. I, I get it. Dude. I, I get it. Um, the, the goal is like you got to get rid of the self talk, but it's you know I, I I am the joke. When I am the joke, you can't make fun of me. The um <laughs> the so the first part is that is you, at a core as an adult and as a parent, you need to look at how you're showing up every day for yourself, and when you start to you know go through the processes of, of, of self-forgiving and healing and leading with some of these leading with loves so when your kid says, I don't care what that tells me is they actually do care. When you say, I don't trust this. You actually do. You have a problem with trust because the people around you haven't given you reason to trust. Mm -hmm. It's instead of just hitting people in the face when your kids do something, it's, understanding who you are first and then being able to have that conversation, having the conversation goes something like this. The kids aren't broken. They need a safe place to have a dialogue and they need a way to be able to take those feelings and not make those feelings that are negative become habits to where that's who they think that they are. Cause they're not, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, a, we make bad decisions. That doesn't mean we're bad people. It was a bad moment in time. So it's being able to essentially embrace whatever that is, let them know they're not broken. They're not alone and allow them to talk through that stuff. Mm -hmm. allows them to build, to put that weight off. And then it, it starts to build those connections and it starts at home. I mean, it starts at home. And if you can't do it, you know, it's one of those things where maybe you can coach your teens to lead that way with their friends. Like, you know, empathy goes a long way um, when you're starting to talk about you know, dark spaces and how do you get them out? Don't enable, you know, is another one. Don't enable. Well, um, that to me, that with love, but don't let people do stupid shit all the time either. Right. right. The, the empathy piece is so huge. You mentioned earlier how, uh, I think you mentioned earlier how sometimes when, like if a kid says, uh, oh, I'm suicidal or whatever, as a parent, sometimes you do something that seems uh, intuitive, like don't think that, don't say that. In a way, you almost push them further into a darker corner because there's no outlet. And right. empathy is, is, is such an important ingredient to let that release, to let that get out, to feel seen in that moment, to go, oh, you know, I'm so sorry you're, you're feeling that way. You know, what can I do to better love you? What can I do to be there, uh, a better friend to you, a better 
father, a better uh, mother to you. Um, how much of this do you think we haven't even touched on this subject, which is fatherless uh, households and how important uh, an impact that's making. Is there, is there a common thread through a lot of the, the suicides? Do you know that? The, the, the data, I don't have that data. Yeah. It's one of those things that we're, you know, we're absolutely looking at, but it's, you know, the correlations to single, you know, just single parent, you know, father or mother, like, you know, what is that? What does a single parent do? Or, you know, a remarriage, you know, being a step parent's a very interesting set of circumstances too. You know, sometimes you get a good one, sometimes you don't. So it's like, you know, what kind of effect does that have? Um, I, <laughs> that, I don't have that data. You know, again, it's one of those things I'm looking at it. It's with the show, the goal of the entire thing is not to solve anything. It's to be aware, not to be ignorant, but it's to shine a light to allow people to have that conversation, right? So the, if our sons and daughters don't feel comfortable coming to us or their peers or a neighbor or a friend or a teacher or a counselor, yeah. if they don't feel comfortable coming forward, we're never going to get, we'll never get past that, right? And the data, the data you get from the CDC and the other, you know, the CDC is kind of the big one. It's, you don't get that. You don't get how, like kind of what the households look like. I can get state, region, zip code, um, I don't, you don't get sexual preference. So you don't know if like somebody was struggling with, mm -hmm. like, you don't know, right. Like, right. Cause they don't give that information out. And it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where you just tear it apart and you hear dialogues about it. So uh, that's, that, that's absolutely probably, you know, something we, we should, we should, we have an online questionnaire when people want to share their stories. I should probably add that. Like your yeah. I'd be curious just cause there is a very clear correlation as I'm sure you're aware uh, between fatherless homes and violence, crime, education uh not being as good et cetera, et cetera. so i i'm just curious because that's i know you're in that space a little bit as i am um well i think you you miss a lot of things when there's not a father figure around um there's a lot of different things that can happen you've got the lack the lack of masculinity so because you don't have a man that you know, then we get we dive into a constant you know the, the conversation on toxic masculinity it's yeah men and women are completely different we just are like we're not equals like women make babies i don't like we're not wired the same right like we get into an argument that you know men are inherently stronger than women are there women that are the outliers yes but there's a reason that women don't play in the nba i don't know it's because if you put lebron if lebron said i identify as a woman he'd be scoring 500 points a game it's like there are differences and you know what that's okay yeah. everything doesn't need to be binary Right. right. We've gotten to this weird thing where we've like swung so far in different directions that everything has to be the same. Um, I love respect and honor everything, but I, uh, and I'll give people a place, but it's not a, whether I understand it or agree with it, it's, we're in a weird space where when the father is out of the house and there isn't that figure, it's the, the, the lack of what a, the, the masculine figure can provide. Right. It's yes. the, it's the, you know, how to, how to, the basic things that, that would make up masculinity. How, how do you treat a woman? Good, bad, or indifferent. How do you, are you getting up and going to work? Are you playing, throwing the ball with the kid? Are you taking them to sports? Are you showing them how to change the oil? Like the things that are kind of basic necessities. And even that, even men that are present, I don't know that a lot of them are doing that. So it's, it's, it's definitely, I think we're, I think we're just in a really, really weird time that the numbers will come back and reflect. And I think we'll have another swing the other way yeah. is we lack resiliency. We have a whole generation of kids that have come up now that have no resiliency. Mm -hmm. they, they don't know how to do anything. It's mm -hmm. like, they don't know how, like if the car breaks down, they don't know how to change the tire because their dad's, their parent, mom didn't teach them. So it's, we have a whole generation of um, kids who are lacking that resiliency. And without the resiliency, I think resiliency. Slippery slope. It, dude, it's a huge characericity. Yeah. How do you overcome, how do you overcome problems if you haven't been resilient? 
Yeah. First time you get hit with a problem, you blame somebody else or look for somebody to look for a handout to fix it. It's like, no, you need to fix that. Yeah. And that starts when you're a kid, when you fall down or when you break something or you steal something and you're held accountable. It's like those things happen at a young age. And it's like, it feels to me. And I don't know what the numbers are. You're talking to Doc Dan and some of the experts that we've dealt with is there's this weird softening that's happening where there's just, there's a lack of accountability and resiliency that's coming up. And what are those kids going to raise? They'll either get sick and tired of it when they have children and they're going to want to introduce that. Or, you know, does it go away, you know, two generations from now, is it gone completely? Yeah. Um, I know we're a little bit short on time, but I wanted to um, maybe actually ask you really quick, how many episodes are you in so far? Are these up on YouTube yet or are they? <coughs> no. So we've got three done. The, um, we did the pilot. And so like, here's, the, here's, here's the business model. Had the idea, formed the business, did it as a, as a nonprofit because we wanted to do two things. One, we were 100% um, kind of be held to communities and our corporate sponsors through donations. What I didn't want to do is set the business up to where people were like, oh yeah, here's 20 bucks and they feel like they lost money. So 100% of everything is tax deductible right? From corporate sponsors to like individuals giving us 10 bucks. That money is put into the first section of what we're doing is the documentary series. So that's getting to places I need to be to interview people. That's the travel. That's production. I do the filming, editing, post-production. That's a lot of stuff. So it allows us to have the interviews and get the experts to talk about what we're talking about. Well, as we started to go through that process, we 100% are self-funding. The the goal is there's I got a ton of content that's going to be going online here. Um, it's on our Facebook and on our website. Um, a ton of the interviews that we did, we're in the process now of courting producers because we've got Netflix and Hulu have, we're having conversations with to have them pick up the entire thing. Once they pick up the entire thing, so we need to have enough. We need to have there's three episodes I want to get in the can. There are full one-hour episodes that now become the pilot instead of one, you know, thirty-minute pilot. I'm going to do three full episodes and show how they're connected. I got to self-fund that, right? Mm-hmm. It's about thirty grand, and I've got a, two producers in LA that are coming out, and a couple camera guys, because I do the interview, and it's not like it's like us talking. It's me going through the experiences and like meeting and talking to people. It's the, the way that I try to explain it is the show is Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, but mm-hmm. for teenagers talking about a subject that, that like that we need to talk about. I so it's me traveling, but I need a camera guy. I film everything. I can't film myself walking around. <laughs> right. So it's like, it becomes a very tricky thing. So the idea has been picked up based on what we've put together. So no, I, I, I'll start to post that stuff, but I won't do any of the full interviews and any of that stuff until, cause I can't do that and then go to syndication because then that stuff right. can't be shown. Um, so the stuff that we're doing now is very strategic for social media and our long-term goal here in the next 90 days is to get picked up for syndication. Once that happens, they'll pick it up. And then the money that we continue to raise goes into a fund that allows it to be a resource center, like a scholarship program for people. That wow. I love that business. I think that deserves a whole podcast episode on its, on its own. Cause I'm sure there's other people that are interested to create something similar or to, to carry the torch forward. Um, that's phenomenal too. Uh, I, I noticed on your website, the sort of intro video, you're talking to a lot of kids who do seem like outliers in a lot of respect, even statistically with um, social uh, sexual orientation, uh, what have you. Um, If that kid, if that teen is listening to this call um, or if somebody else is listening to this and wants to speak to that teen, if I could uh, be so bold as to ask you to give them a message as if you were talking to them, Right now, you mentioned some things before, but if you could say it in a way that was directly to them as if they were listening right now, I think that'd be super helpful. 
So the biggest message that, that I would say to the kid who's alone right now, or the parent that would transition that to, to get to their child who's alone, who doesn't think they're going to make it another day is the cliche term. It gets better. It does. You know, I, I speak from experience. I've been in that place multiple times. And as you get older, those weights get bigger. It's, it, yeah, it gets better. It absolutely gets better. It gets like life gets so much better than where it is today. It's just a moment in time. The things that have gotten you to where you are now don't make you who you are and don't make you who you're going to be. Um, you know, forgive yourself, love yourself. There's a lot of people and a lot of resources that want to work with you and help you. And there's somebody out there whose life you're going to impact. You just haven't met them yet. You got to go let's get you revved up so you can go meet those people and make those impacts and share the story that you're at because there's somebody that's just like you right now who doesn't think they're going to make it. And that could be the reason you continue. I love that. One thing I want to just add on to that is I've noticed that sometimes people who face extremely dark places, they have a reciprocating light. Like somebody who goes through life without a lot of challenge, without everything's easy. It's hard to get bright, but people who have faced darkness have there's a there's a depth in them for them to reciprocate that and turn that darkness into a really bright light so you're doing that uh other people can start doing that and if you're Peter, in how, a place, dude, how can you how can you how can you appreciate the sun if you don't understand the darkness how can you appreciate the water if you've never been on dry land for periods of time yeah. you know how, how can you appreciate these things if you don't have the polar the polar opposite so obviously it's exactly what you said it's people that have experienced that also you know are the ones that can come out and understand what, it, what the light feels like in a massive um, if you go to the website right now this brings up an interesting conversation as we're kind of ending things so i got asked by um utah pride well a couple of things so i live in um i live in southern utah Utah's a very, you know, it's a heavy Christian state, as most people know, and their faith system is is very heavily intertwined into everything. Just like if you live in the South, it's like religion's a big part of everyday life. Mm -hmm. The um, when you start to get into the smaller parts of of, of this state, it's even more so, and the, the the acceptance and understanding outside of their religious beliefs is very, it's 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 a tough conversation. The um, <clears throat> I have two kids that um. Uh, my daughter, my fiance's daughter, um, like the, the the LGBT community is close to us based on, you know, on one side, my daughter um, had some things growing up that I was very, the way that I addressed it was very kind of in your face. I must like kind of parents address it. I mean, it wasn't accepting, it wasn't loving and it was confusion and it was, you know, lack of understanding. And when we have fear, we leave with anger because we don't understand it. And I promised myself I would never you know, if given the opportunity, first I needed to fix and go back and let my daughter know she, that I love her and that she's not alone. And I, whatever she, I accept her as long as she's not, you know, does it hurt herself or others? When I had that opportunity to address it again, I had a young, you know, a young girl in front of me who was 16 years old, who'd been kicked out of her house and been disowned and was confused and was raised in a church and struggled and didn't know thought something was wrong with her. And instead of having the same reaction that I had, you know, 15 years, 20 years previously, my reaction was love. It's, I love you, except you're not broken. You're, there's something wrong with you. And let's give you a place that you can, like, let's, to where you understand that you're okay. The, um, cause I mean, can you imagine the, 
imagine the trauma that comes with a young kid that's struggling every day and doesn't know like they feel like they're broken all day long every day because they feel like they're attracted to the other person i don't know what that's like i just i don't i don't i i'm not wired that way i like boobs and i like you know like i don't know it's, it's like i like women like it's not it's <laughs> who i am right i've never second guessed it but what I've seen is when you start to look at acceptance versus fear, it's a completely different set as to how we address things that we don't understand. So if you fast forward that, um, I have a personal connection to it. The, um, they were doing a pride festival here in Southern Utah and the mayor here is very forward thinking. Uh, mayor Pike is just an awesome dude. And he put a post out where he supported the, the pride festival and to read the comments that were on this thing were disgusting. The shit that people were saying like it's a it's a wonder that these kids are like hiding and want to hurt themselves. Right. Whether you agree with it or not, I don't care. Right. It's it, it's a one. I mean, literally the hate that was spewing, and then on both sides because then you had one community versus the other. And if you don't like me, I'm going to come at you and beat the hell out of you. And they both yep. were doing it to each other. What yep. that showed me was there's a there's a story here that we need to tell within this community, and um, we were invited to come down and film. What you're, what you're referencing is, I just posted this up, it's on our website, on our social media handle, is um, my oldest daughter, the one I was referencing earlier, came out. She's a key part of this project, and um, my, my whole family is. She, well, her and I went to Pride. So be, her and I being able to go to this event was a really big milestone, first and foremost. Like, that was a big deal. So for the two of us to go to this together mm -hmm. signified something in our relationship, and it was a big moment of healing for both of us, right? Mm. Um, we set up, we went around, met a bunch of people, talked to some people. We set up in an area um, at one of these booths where uh, we did an interview and the interview was this. It was the question kind of what you asked me. There's a kid that's alone right now who's, who feels like they're in complete darkness. Our goal is to find that one person and to share with them a message of encouragement. When I ask you this question, like what, what would you say to that person? And immediately when you ask that question, you see people's eyes go, they know right where that place was. They know exactly what you're talking about. And then they just open up and share. So what it is, is it's me asking that question. And we got about 15 to 16 different there. There eight, you know, there, there's, there's teenagers, there's adults. There's like, it's all kinds of a mix from that, from that event. And it's really interesting because that community has been very, very vocal, um, especially the younger ones that have struggled. Um, they're very vocal to share words of encouragement because they know firsthand what it's like to feel ostracized mm -hmm. uh, because they, you know, they, they, they feel, act and look different and they've been pro you know, persecuted a lot. So it's, well, it's one of those things where they, they are very open about sharing because they understand there's a lot of people that are, like they know where they were and they want to get that mad. They want to help people through it because a lot of them didn't have help or they had help. And if they didn't have that help, they wouldn't be where they are today. Right. So it's, it's amazing to see kind of what those messages were. The summary of this is very, is really interesting because when you do the math, like I said, that, that community is three times more like the teens are three times more likely to, to end their life through suicide. I got to talk about that. It would be ignorant, not whether I understand it, support it, like it, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's something that's happening that I want to talk about because right. it's happening all around us. Again, it's about getting the conversation up. So I did this big fundraising push and I was sending messages out to friends and family and we were emailing and we we're going like just, it's an all hands grassroots effort. We were raising money, man. I spent more time raising money. Anything. And as we're going through that, I literally had a group of people. I had four or five people try to come back. It came back to me and said that they, cause I included that video. I said, you know, here's what we're doing, and here's a recent snapshot of something we just did. And 
people came back to me with so much hate and anger saying they wouldn't support the project because they don't support that lifestyle choice. Mm. And then I found myself in a debate, like having to explain. And it was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm not going to try to talk you into anything. Yeah. Here's the thing is, okay. So if you're, if, if, if a teenager comes out and says that they're gay, uh, bisexual, straight, queer, whatever, you're telling me that that doesn't matter to you because you don't agree with the lifestyle choice. Okay. I got it. Great. Fine. That's your personal choice. It's not mine. That's your choice. Okay. So what if a black kid in the ghetto has a problem? He's not your problem either now because you don't, you're not black and you don't like the minorities or the Hispanic kid. What about the rich suburban kid who's Christian? What about the Muslim? Or what you're telling me is you're waiting your individual belief system on the level as to how much you will support a kid's life. And to me, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's complete bullshit. One minus one equals zero. That's binary. That's math. Mm -hmm. One minus one, it will always be zero. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see people pull their personal belief systems into it where like, I just, I won't, I don't entertain it. I don't need to explain it. It's, um, I find myself defending, but what that also tells me is until you start to drive controversy is what you're doing mattering good or bad, right? There's three ways I look at Peter. I like you and I love what you're doing and I support it. I don't like you. I can't stand you and I block you or Eh, I don't know. Like, I got, whatever. If I see his stuff, cool. If I don't, I don't. That's the dark space. I never want to be indifferent. You either like me or you don't, but you always have a feeling when my name comes up. Mm -hmm. And whatever I'm working on has that same impact. Whether you like it or you hate it, you have a feeling. You're not like, I don't know. I don't care either way. Right. It's being able to drive polarity allows us to have that kind of conversation, right? So mm -hmm. when people start to hate, it's like, really? I never thought I'd have people hate on me doing a, a, a series on suicide. Okay, cool. <laughs> like I took right. it personal at first and then I'm like, uh, you know, it's not me. Those are all self-reflections and I'm not here to change anybody's mind. Yeah. Like I'm here to have a conversation yeah. and it's, um, I don't know. It's, 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 that's just the way that I look at it. It's like, I think in this scenario, every life matters. And if, if we do this entire thing and I spent all my money and I lose everything I have and one kid decides to live one more day, it was worth it to me. Mm. Love that man. <sighs> Right. Yeah, I've got a. Hey, go on. I got a bird that got out of the bird cage, and I have uh -oh. a dog that's trying to eat it. <laughs> it's on cue. They're like, "Hey, we're, we're, you need to give us attention." That's it. Um, that's it. Colby, brother, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, such an important one. I love the stand that you're making. For those that are interested in supporting you, uh, <laughs> lifeworthlivingtoday.org. What yes, are your sir. social channels? You can go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, my handle is I am. So like I'm Colby, K-O-L-B-Y, K-A-Y. So I'm Colby K. Fantastic. Thank you again, Colby. Appreciate the stand, brother. I appreciate you, dude. All right, man. Have a good one. See ya. Peace.